I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Luke chapter 1. Once again, Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick up this morning in verse 57, walk through verse 80 in a message entitled, Zechariah's Song. Last week, if you were here, if uh, you may not have been here but want to catch up, you can go back and listen online to the message. We began a series looking at the authentic, the true songs of Christmas. We began last week with Mary's song, and this week we're going to continue on in this series and focus in on Zechariah's song as well. I don't know if you've noticed, but the commercials this time of year seem to amp up a little bit. Have you paid attention to that? How many of you have ever had your breath taken away by a Christmas present? Probably not many of us, because... I mean, what gift is that good that it would absolutely take your breath away? I mean, unless it's a Lexus in the driveway, right? Matching one, his and hers. If you figure that one out, let me know. But you know, for us, as we think about it, most gifts don't take our breath away. We like them. In fact, there's gifts that are incredible. I remember one year that I received a gift of a set of golf clubs. And it wasn't the golf clubs that were so incredible. In fact, it was the way the golf clubs were found in my home. They were under my bed. My parents had stashed them under there about three months ahead of time. Had no idea. And I'm thinking, how in the world did those get there? And never had looked. But there's not many gifts that take your breath away, unless maybe it's the gift of a baby, a gift that would absolutely take your breath away. What we're going to see this morning is Zechariah, who I want to explain in just a little bit who he is and how he fits into the story and for us to be able to grasp the context of what's going on, but Prior to Zechariah singing this song or speaking this word from the Lord, he was not able to speak for an extended period of time. In fact, the Lord had closed his mouth so that he could not speak because he doubted that God would do what he said he would do. I want to read the text for us, and then I want us to walk back through it together this morning as we consider this second song in the Christmas story. Luke writes in Luke 1, verse 57, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, 
Blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You know, as we look at this song, this verse that's unpacked for us with Zechariah, his prophecy, what he spoke about, not only what God had done, but in the context of how his son was going to play into this Christmas story of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem. I want you to notice what's going on in Zechariah's life at this point, because the context is important. It's important for us to know why Zechariah is in the position that he's in. Remember, as we encounter him here, he's not able to speak at the beginning of the text. And the Lord opens his mouth after a specific action that he takes. Well, why could he not speak? Why was he not able to utter a single word? Well, it goes back to chapter 1. And it's a fascinating story of Zechariah and his wife being told that they were going to have a son. Now his wife had been barren, they had never been able to have children, and an angel visited Zechariah and told him, as he's in the temple, worshiping the Lord, performing his priestly duties, Zechariah, a son is going to be born to you and Elizabeth. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder, why does God not tell us what he's up to? You ever wonder that in your own life? Like, why doesn't God kind of peel the curtain back in our lives and say, hey, in the next two years, in the next five years, here's what the next 10 years of your life is going to look like. 
Why does he not do that? Because we would likely respond the way Zechariah responded. Zechariah, in the greatest way you could respond, laughs at the angel. I don't know about you, but laughing at an angel is probably not the way to go. If you're picking a list of how to respond when the Lord gives you a word, it's not laughing. But that's exactly what he does. Not only does he laugh, he says, there's no way possible for this to happen. He throws his wife under the bus first. He says, she's old. (laughs) And then he says, so am I. We're old. We can't have kids any longer. We've never been able to have kids. Angel, there's no way that this is possible. Which is always the wrong response when God is at work. Because with God, all things are possible. But Zechariah laughs. He responds with doubt. And in that instant, he's told by the angel, you will not be able to speak until this child is born. No words. You can't say anything until this child's born. So then we encounter what's going on in verse 57. With that as the backdrop, with that as the context, we see his wife Elizabeth, that it comes time for her to give birth to the son, and everyone shows up on the scene because they know that this is a miracle. She's been barren, she's not been able to have kids, and the scripture tells us that there was great reproach towards her because of this, that she was not able to to fit into society at large because children were viewed as an incredible blessing from the Lord, and to not be able to have children would have put her into a camp that you didn't want to be in. But now all that's changed. In fact, she is about to give birth, and everyone shows up after it's taken place. They're rejoicing. They are throwing a party, and it comes time to name the child. What are we going to name him? What's his name going to be? Everyone around had ideas, and it's centered in on one name. We're going to name him after his daddy. We're going to name him Zechariah Jr. That's what his name's going to be. Elizabeth says, no. His name be John. It's the name that the Lord had told them this son would be called. And Zechariah, who's still not able to speak yet, They ask him. Evidently, Elizabeth's word was not enough. They want to know, Zechariah, what do you want to call him? What's his name going to be? And Zechariah writes down the name John. And did you notice what happened? As soon as he wrote that down, his mouth was opened. His mouth was open and he had something to say. After nine plus months of not being able to speak, some of you think, wow, that'd be glorious. 
Some of you think about your kids and say, that would be even better. But think about that. After nine months of not being able to speak a word, what would you say if you're Zechariah? How would you respond now that the Lord has opened your mouth so that you could speak? Well, he is filled with the Spirit and breaks into song, into verse here. And I want us to notice that he doesn't complain about not having been able to speak. What he does is praise the Lord. When he is finally able to open his mouth to utter sound out of his lips, what does he do? He praises the Lord. And I want us to notice, this is going to frame our time together, Zechariah's song of praise here should also be our song of praise. We said the exact same thing last week with Mary's song, that Mary's song should be our song as believers, and Zechariah's song should be our song as believers, and so let's figure out why this morning. Why is God deserving of praise? Why does Zechariah, when his mouth is finally open, praise the Lord in the way he does here, beginning in verse 38? Here is why. I want you to notice first that God is deserving of praise because he has made salvation possible for us just as he promised. Notice what Zechariah says beginning in verse 68 and going all the way down through verse 75. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah says God is deserving of praise because he has done what he said he would do. He made a promise that he would deliver his people, that he would provide salvation for his people, and he is doing it. Notice how he describes it. He describes it in verse 68 by saying he has visited and redeemed his people. God is not absent. God is present. And the greatest demonstration of God's presence with us is fulfilled in Jesus coming to this earth, the incarnation, Jesus stepping foot out of heaven, the very Son of God, and taking on flesh and coming to this earth. You see, what's happening here is that Zechariah realizes that he is but a small part of a bigger picture of what God is doing. 
that His Son gets to play a part in the story of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, stepping foot onto this planet. And He says here, God is deserving of praise because He's visited and redeemed His people. Not only that, he says in verse 69 that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Not only has God made it possible for us to be saved, this salvation, he says here, comes in power. The horn in Ancient times was considered a source of power. As we look throughout the Old Testament, we see that salvation is described in that way oftentimes, meaning that God's hand is not weak. God is not saving His people from a deficit. That He is saving His people from a source of unlimited power and strength. And I want you to know that that is on greatest display in the Christmas story. God's power at work. He continues on in verse 70 and 71 by saying that God has fulfilled his promise to save his people. I don't know if you've gotten this or not, but Zechariah is essentially saying over and over and over again the same thing. Why is he doing that? Because he just can't get over the fact that God is doing what he said he's going to do. Now think about this. He's seen it firsthand. He's experienced it in his own life. He's heard a word from the Lord that a son would be born to he and Elizabeth. And he doubted it, but he saw God do it. And he says, listen, this God who is saving us is doing what he says he's going to do. I don't know if you have taken note of something or not. But God always keeps His word. There's not a moment in time where God has said, here's how I'm going to work. I'm going to save my people. Beginning from the fall in Genesis chapter 3, God's promise continually is, here's what I'm going to do, and here's how I'm going to accomplish it, and here's the means whereby I'm going to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation, and Zechariah here is looking and saying, that's exactly what God is doing. And what's true for Zechariah is also true for us. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want you to pause for a moment and remind yourself that God has done in your life exactly what He promised He would do. As we celebrate the Christmas season, as we celebrate the baby in the manger, we can't celebrate that without recognizing that that baby grew up and went to the cross for you and for me. 
that God's promise of sending a Savior, not only did He send Him here in the Gospels as we read, but we also read in the Gospels that this Savior who came as a baby in a manger lived a sinless and perfect life. He took your sin and my sin upon Himself on the cross and He paid the debt that we owed so that we could experience exactly what Zechariah promises that God is up to here. For us as believers gathered here this morning in this season, Zechariah's song that God does exactly what he says he's going to do, that God has saved his people, that God has made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. What we see here is what we have experienced in our own lives. And if that's the case, Zechariah's song is also our song. And at this time of year, we have the opportunity to praise the Lord because of all things, this season should remind us that God keeps His promises. He continues on in verse 72, and He reminds us that God has shown mercy to His people just as He said He would. We talked about mercy last week. Mercy is getting what we don't deserve, not getting what we deserve. As you're riding down the highway and you're speeding and you get pulled over, let's just pause for a second, confession time. Anybody do that this week? You don't have to say that, don't say it. It's a police officer walking up and saying, I'm not gonna give you a ticket. That's mercy. And he says here that that's exactly what we've experienced. He says for himself, he says for all of God's people, we've experienced the great mercy of the Lord. Not only that, continuing on in verse 73 through 75, he reminds us that God has kept his oath to save us so that we could serve him. So Zechariah, in these verses, over and over and over again, reminds us that God is deserving of praise because he has made salvation possible for us just as he promised. And so believer, if you're here this morning, I want you to rest in that reality, that you have been saved by a God who keeps his promises. If you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you wonder what it is we celebrate at this Christmas season. You wonder why we gather and we sing and we praise and we give and we pray. You wonder what that's all about. And here Zechariah puts it on display for us. We do that because we have a God who keeps His promises. And what's the greatest promise that he kept in our lives? It's making it possible for us to be saved from our sins and brought in a relationship with our heavenly father. Zechariah says, God deserves praise because he does what he says he's going to do. I want you to notice he doesn't stop there though. If that was general in scope, Zechariah is about to get specific. Beginning in verse 76, I want you to notice he specifically speaks about his son, John. 
John who would be the forerunner of Jesus, who would prepare the way for Jesus to come and to minister to the people, to proclaim the gospel to the people. This is what he says about John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace." Not only is God deserving of praise because he's made salvation possible for us just as he promised, but God is deserving of praise because he has chosen us to declare this good news to the world. You know, it's one thing to just look and to say, wow, God is amazing. He's great. He keeps his promises. It's one thing to think about that. But what Zechariah does is move from thinking about that and saying that to putting feet on that. And that's where the rubber meets the road in our lives as believers. We should have great thoughts about what God has done. I mean, for us, and here's the way I would describe it. We oftentimes in our lives lose the fire of what God has done for us. We don't think on that enough. We just assume that. We are saved and we just think, of course I should be saved. Of course God should want me on his team. And we lose the impact that that has on our lives. It's not the burning fire in our souls that it used to be. It just kind of cools off a little bit. It's like your kids the day after Christmas. You have poured blood, sweat, tears, and way too much money in buying them presents. And especially when they're young, they just want to play with the box. And when they're older, they're thinking, these are nice gifts, but I wish I would have gotten this instead. But how many times have we as believers had that same thing happen in our hearts and in our souls when we think about the incredible gift that God has given us and it just doesn't have the wow factor in our lives anymore. My hope and my prayer is that Zechariah has once again ignited that reality in your life that you in this moment are sitting there thinking it is incredible that God does what he says he's going to do. That God saved me from the depths of sin and put me in relationship with him. But then what do we do with that? Zechariah describes how God is going to work through his son. And I want you to notice that what he's going to do through John is what he also desires to do through us. He says in verse 76 that John would prepare the way for him, that is the Messiah, the Christ child, who would grow up and be the Savior of the world for him to work. He prepared the way. 
And I want you to notice something this morning, believer, that God wants to use you to do the exact same thing. That listen, when we recognize what Christ has done for us, when we have been saved from our sins and brought in relationship with him, what we should look and recognize is that that is the beginning point of serving the Lord all of our days. Well, how can we do that? Well, one of the ways is preparing the way for the Lord to work in other people's lives. Who do you know that you work with, that you go to school with, that you live next door to, doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe it's a family member who's never taken that step of trusting Jesus as their Savior. Here's the question for you, Christian. How can you, like John, prepare the way for the Lord to work in their lives? How do you prepare the way? How can you work in such a way to smooth the ground around their souls so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's just not being a jerk. Amen or ouch? Maybe they're turned off from following Jesus because of what they've seen in your life and they think, why would I want that if that's the way I'm gonna act? Maybe it's simply a gift for them this time of year. Maybe a book that details the story of who Jesus is and what he's done. But what are those ways that you can actively take the step of preparing the way for the Lord to work in their lives? See, here's the good news. God desires to work in people's lives. It's the reason that Jesus came was to change lives. And God is still in the business of changing lives through his son, Jesus. And you and I as believers get to play a part in that. If you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, people have taken steps this morning to prepare the way for you today. People have made sure that the air comes on, that the lights work. Our worship team has prepared the way and leading us to sing this morning. We've taken time to walk through God's Word. There is a way prepared this morning for you to hear who Jesus is and take the step of trusting him as your savior. Not only does he allow us to prepare the way for him to work, he allows us to point people to the truth of how they can be saved from their sin. I want you to notice how he describes John's task. John's task wasn't a pretty task. John's task was to prepare the way of the Lord by doing one thing, telling people to repent from their sin. How does that work? You don't win a whole lot of friends and influence a whole lot of people by saying, you're a sinner and you need to be saved. But there is a way for us as believers to communicate that message in hope and in love with people who need to hear that. Because let's be honest with each other this morning. Eternity is at stake in this. 
This is not a game that we're playing. We're talking about real lives that need to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we who have experienced God's grace and mercy in our own lives have the privilege and the joy of pointing people to Jesus because we know that he can save them from their sin. Not only that, he allows us to let the light of Jesus shine through our lives and bring peace. That's how John closed it out. In his life, as he is preparing the way for Jesus to come, as he is calling people to repentance, calling them to turn from their sins and to be saved, John, towards the end of his life, makes this statement about Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. And that's exactly what his dad said he would do. That he would allow the light of Jesus to shine so that peace could be brought to the hearts of people who were far from God. I want us to recognize this morning that for us as believers, Zechariah's song is our song. And if you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ, that Zechariah's song can be your song today. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. We're going to transition right now to a time of response. Give you an opportunity as Pastor Scott plays to spend some time before the Lord this morning in response to his word. And then at the end of that time, we're gonna have an opportunity to celebrate communion together this morning. To be able to take part of the practice that Jesus gave to his disciples of remembering him, his blood shed, for us, his body broken for us. But in this time of invitation, I wanna encourage you this morning to ask a few simple questions. Have you lost the joy of what Christ has done in your life? And maybe as we sit here this morning, This needs to be an opportunity for you to kneel before the Lord where you're seated or to come down to this altar and spend some time in prayer that the joy of this Christmas season, what Christ has done, that Zechariah reminds us of here has maybe been the furthest thing from your mind. And you just simply want to ask the Lord, ignite that fire again. Remind me of that. So then the depths of my soul, I remember that you are a God who keeps his word. And you've done an incredible work in my life. Maybe this is an opportunity for you in response to the Lord to pray for someone that you know needs 
in this season to trust Jesus as their Savior. And you want to lay your life down and ask the Lord to use you to prepare the way, to point them to salvation, to let the light of Christ shine through you so that they see it and respond. Maybe you want to kneel where you are. Maybe you want to come down to this altar, but you have an opportunity in just a few minutes to respond to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you know that that's the step that you need to take this morning. For just a few minutes, I'm going to be down front here. If I can pray with you, if I can encourage you, share with you, put you in touch with someone who's here this morning that can share the gospel with you and how you can be saved, I'd love to be able to do that. But I want to encourage you right now to respond to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to respond right now and following that to celebrate what Christ has done for us through communion. Would you use this time for us to be transparent with you and honest with you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to stay seated where you are. Keep your heads bowed in prayer this morning. I'm going to step down for just a few moments. And if you need to pray with someone, I want to encourage you to come down, give you an opportunity to respond right now here at the altar. Maybe you need to talk with someone. I'll be down here. But take this time to pause and respond to the Lord this morning.